Visible is a wireless carrier that is not invisible. It is pretty clear from the name, actually, radio waves are invisible. And I can say this with authority as a licensed amateur radio operator. That being said, Visible won't be giving you the power to see light outside the visible spectrum. It's actually way better because having that ability would make getting around very difficult and distracting. What you do get with Visible is unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. You get one line of wireless, just $25 a month, which is great in these times of economic uncertainty. That is one line for $25, taxes and fees included. So whatever you're doing at this moment, please stop. Switch immediately. Now, monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Wir gerne sehen in was ist los. It's dein Freundo, Seth. I'm learning German. Yeah, in case you didn't know what that was. That is me trying to impress you with the little German that I know. Right now, I am actually learning German. I took it in high school. I goofed off the entire time. I did some other language learning apps. They taught me things like where the taxi stand is and how to find a bus, um, but not a lot of conversational uh German. Thankfully, that's what Babbel is all about. Babbel teaches you language conversationally, which let's face it, that is what you want to know anyway. I don't know. When I was in school, you learned like how to count. You learned like the colors. You learned the shapes. Those are all important things, but they don't help you when you're in uh, like Cologne, Germany with Ein Nierenstein, which by the way is German for kidney stone, uh, an experience I can unfortunately speak personally to. But I've been using Babbel to learn to speak German again, uh, better than I have before. I actually really like it because it is conversational. It's a little bit more relaxed. One of the things that it does that I really like is it'll sometimes show you what the literal English translation is. And I don't know why, but I find that very helpful in sort of understanding the structure, the grammar of a language and sort of putting myself into that mind space. Since I'm only in Germany for Gamescom, which is like a week, week and a half, I'm not immersed in the German language. I'm not immersed in German culture. So what I do is the second best thing. I'm taking Babbel. Hopefully this year when I go to Germany, I'll be able to impress all the Germans with how much German I know from learning through Babbel. The app has pronunciation recognition, so you'll be able to learn how to speak better with your accent, how to actually properly pronounce the words. That way you won't get made fun of by a, a group of older German men because you said Apfelstrudel and not Apfelstrudel. Um, no, it's really cool. Uh, I'm going to say right now there is a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now you can get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners because you guys are the best ones, by the way, at babbel.com slash realm. Get 60% off at babbel.com slash realm. That is spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash realm. Rules and restrictions may apply. Listen. Hello and welcome to NVC, IGN's Nintendo podcast. This week we will be talking about how F-Zero is actually not dead and more nuggets from IGN's interview with an ex-designer who is with Nintendo for 30 years. Also, we'll be talking about how you'll be able to print your Pokemon Snap photos and the great Ace Attorney coming to the U.S. and a whole lot more. I'm your host, Casey DeFridis, and this week I'm joined by Harris Schneider. Welcome. Brian Altano. Welcome. And Logan Plant. Welcome. 
Adrian are, our awesome uh, production assistant. So what's up? Yeah. Hey. So everyone, thank you so much for being here to talk about this today because uh, you know, I'm going to be honest. I have never played an F Zero game. Whoa, I know, crazy. unless I know, unless you count the mini game in Nintendo Land and the associations with Smash. I, I've never played one. I don't so, know. So you don't know frustration and anger. Oh wait, no, you play Monster. Uh, yeah, it's like I don't know about that. Like, <laughs> I know a little bit, but um, you can see uh, some of F Zero on the screen right here, but. I'm going to let you guys take this conversation away. Basically, the ex-designer, ex-Nintendo designer, Takuya Imamura, he's a retired Nintendo artist who designed um, or helped design stuff like The Legend of Majora's Mask. He's responsible for Tingle. He worked on uh, F-Zero, one of his first games that he worked on. And he talked in pretty in-depth with an interview we had with him. He just left Nintendo in January, was there for 30 years, worked directly with Miyamoto, has a ton of experience. I do implore everyone to go read that full article. It's incredibly interesting. But Perrin and Logan here are huge F-Zero fans. So the direct quote is, the series is hard to bring back without a grand idea. So take it away, F-Zero <laughs> fans. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I don't know how many of the games you've played, uh, Logan, but, um, you know, I've been on board since the Super NES, played it on N64, played it on 64DD on Game Boy Advance and, you know, saw its swan song on, on GameCube and really liked that game too, you know. Um, but it's, it's definitely a series that has not evolved a lot when you think about the concept of it, right? Like it's a, it's a cyber racer starring Captain Falcon and others um, that is all centered around precision racing at really high speeds and that kind of shield and boost management system. Um, and, and over the years, they've changed things like they went from mode seven to 3d surfaces where you're like, you're racing on the outside of pipes and in half pipes. And it was really, really cool, but it, but it's always stayed very similar. They're, they're light attacks like spinning to attack an enemy in the later games. But like, it, it's always been centered around like pure, drift racing at super high speeds and you know when i mentioned frustration the big thing about, about f-zero is you leave the course you're dead there is no beep so, putting you back on the track or anything there's no lack of two everything yeah. is rainbow rainbow road yeah and so yeah. so i you know i can see imamura's argument that you know F F Zero GX, which is just freaking awesome. It's such yeah, a great awesome. game, right? From the creator of Daytona USA, who's over at Sega now working on the Yakuza games. He was the lead on this Sega and Nintendo co-production in the arcades and on the GameCube. And it's just it's a fantastic game, but it is so hard that there's no matter how skilled you are, you will be very angry at this game. And I bet if they pulled data on it, 99% of the people who played it did not unlock the significant extra tracks that are in the game from, from the arcade. No, they didn't get past the third right? race pair. They didn't get past... <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of people that I know personally, not myself, of course, because I'm an expert <laughs> gamer, never got past the third race in this game, um, despite trying for years. Uh, and so that's, you know, obviously there needs to be... Some <laughs> something to account for that it's an interesting franchise right because it's like this was a launch game for the super nintendo it was one of the most like incredible experiences ever to play that on day one um and then we uh we got the gamecube version obviously which was 
like really, really cool down the line. Gorgeous. And like the, what it was, what it's, what it was doing here was like so impressive. It still looks good for sure. Um, Sega tag teaming on this, on this, on this game. And then we got a bunch of GBA ones that I think kind of just fell through the cracks and got forgotten. But uh, to me, it's like this is sort of synonymous with the fact that like the futuristic racing genre in general has definitely died down a lot over the last few years. That's something that, you know, Wipeout was doing. Uh, you know, obviously, F-Zero was doing. There was also like Zero. What was it? Zero G. What's what's the one? Extreme G was yep, another one that was just like claim. Yeah. Yeah. They were there for like, you know, uh, for Nintendo launches for a while at the beginning of the Nintendo switch launch, we got fast RMX uh, from, I believe Shinin, which is like the Shinin, closest yeah. we've come to a sort of like third party F zero game in, in a minute. But it, I, it, I, I don't, necessarily know why nintendo feels like the need to overthink this franchise i don't really think that it needs a significant new hook you know yeah, i think I you said it though I mean, also also consider i mean mario kart is now the best selling is, is the best selling game on the switch so i mean people i know it's mario kart but i mean it's still a racing game right mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah I know it's, it, it reminds me of different, but it reminds me of Star Fox because that's a series that Nintendo, I feel like, has felt the need to reinvent over and over. You used to have right. the one on DS where you draw the paths, the the Wii U one where you have the controls and the cockpit on the gamepad and uh, the boots on the ground stuff and some of the other ones. And it's like, I don't think that series needs it either because you, you talk about what you actually want from that series. You want it to go back to the best entry like Star yeah. Fox 64, like F-Zero GX. And I think that the series has been gone long enough that it doesn't need a major reinvention. F-Zero has been dormant longer than it was ever alive. The first one came out in 1990 and then the last one in 2004. And so it's been 17 years since the last one, longer than the history of the franchise. And I I totally agree. Maybe maybe the grand idea would be F-Zero on the Switch. With online multiplayer. So I I agree with it partially because I do think there's a there's a huge difference between the Switch and the Wii U. And like remember on on Wii U, we got Nintendo Land featuring arguably the worst attraction was the F-Zero themed one. So they (laughs) didn't do this justice. But Captain Falcon is popular in Smash, right? And so the the F-Zero franchise is not an unknown. The Switch has the benefit of just being a hit, right? So you bring back Pikmin on switch and it outsells the the original release and mario kart you bring it back and it outsells the original and so ergo if you bring back f-zero i gotta think it'll do better than the original release and they could double dip on f-zero gx but i think one issue with nintendo is sometimes that better is the enemy of the good and nintendo looks at you know they probably look at the last 10 years of npd sales and they say rightfully there's one racer on it and that was back in 2001 i think need for speed showed up ever since then the top 10 even the top 20 didn't have a single racing game in it no forza nothing except Mm -hmm. for mario kart and so Mm -hmm. if they were to say hey if we're going to make a new installment of if zero we want to reinvent it i do think it's time to add weapons it doesn't mean that you have to take away from the like purist racing for the main mode but like do a battle mode that feels like the speed racer movie or like the city trial mode from kirby air right like something something like that i think to bring in people who love mario kart Mm-hmm. But um, but I I I don't understand why they wouldn't test the water by doing a quick remaster of F Zero GX because visually it is so stunning. 
they can tweak the they can add an easy mode to it or something because even story mode is so hard i th- i actually wrote the strategy guide for it for ign and i wanted I, to hear about this <laughs> i was so, it was so frustrating like some of the last story mode missions in gx were just so brutal but but you know speaking of innovation like the racing in gx was similar to the racing in f0 x but it did add the story mode that actually had cutscenes and like really play to the silly universe so if they were gonna redo it like i i i think honestly it's one of those franchises that nintendo has kicked they have kicked the can to other studios and there was no internal champion to say we should really spend our time on this instead of another project right because they're finite resources and so they they sent it to you know sega on the consoles nd cube did the two first um no, the, the first uh, GBA one, Maximum Velocity, and then they kicked it to Suzak. There was actually an F-Zero game that never came out in the U.S. from um, uh, uh, called F-Zero Climax, and you know we only got GP Legend. So I feel like it's one of those franchises where they sent it to another team, had them do it, and they kind of like, maybe they just kind of lost the spark and the interest in it. Mm-hmm. But, man, can't can, can they get back together with... I, I feel like I you, mean, you, you nailed really it back cool. there. If yeah. you're watching it on on YouTube, I mean, so like the good. way it, yeah. it looks, <laughs> I I want to play this. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the track design in this game is brilliant. I mean, I, I I got to play a bunch of it through the time trials because I didn't ever get past the third level in the main story because <laughs> yeah. of the stupid boulders that kept falling out of my car. But uh, I, I think you know that pair. I think like a sort of like a Force Awakenings of of this game. You know, modernize it. Uh, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You can add a couple of bells and whistles. I think like making it accessible to all ages is important. Maybe adding some sort of multiplayer mode like kind of like you know flesh out the package a little bit um to make it a justifiable thing but this is we're in an era where nintendo is doing so exceptionally well and it feels like everything they put on switch that they put a little bit of like first party polish behind sells well and you know we've said this for years on the show but like this is this is the part where you start bringing in the f-zeros and the punch outs and your metroids obviously you know we know those are in the development but to to not really have anything on the radar for this i don't think it needs crazy motion controls i don't think it needs touchscreen stuff it's just like just make a cool futuristic racing game slap on some online stuff that makes it you know at least on par with what they've done with mario kart make you know make an easy mode make a battle mode with some weapons and stuff like that and and keep it as is that was me playing by the way i totally remember that it's ancient ancient, but i love doing the spin around the square curves thing Mm -hmm. yeah uh it's just that game feels so good Mm -hmm. so cool I'm wondering if maybe they're not confident that their online structure can support a multiplayer game like this that is so fast. I mean, so precise, too. It's different from yeah, Mario Kart, right? Yeah. Right. Um, fast and precise. I'm thinking uh, how how disappointed. I was thinking this actually might work with a game like this. One of those um, Battle Royale games that they've been experimenting with. If they put everyone on their own track <laughs> and it's an elimination game and the better you do, the worse it gets for everyone else. I mean, that net code for a fast paced racer would be really gnarly. And, yeah. and Nintendo, Unless it's 16-bit. <laughs> N- Nintendo can't get four player Mario multiplayer running reliably um, uh, online. Mario Kart's actually pretty damn good right Um, but but it is a little bit more forgiving i don't know like i i 
I agree it would be hard to do, but they could easily do a four-player battle mode that's online mm-hmm. if, if mm-hmm. they can't nail like 32 players on track or something. Oh, yeah. And I, um, I really think of F-Zero as more of a, a single-player solitary experience, you versus the track, rather than you versus other players. So I don't think missing an online mode would be d- detrimental to it, but yeah. um, I it, it would obviously help. But I think, look, we, we talked about it. I think there are a couple of paths. Like they could do an F-Zero collection with the classic games, engage gauge whether people are interested and really play up Captain Falcon. They could re-release GX in widescreen. That game is gorgeous and, and tweak it a little bit. Or, you know, like my dream would be go back to Toshiro, uh, Toshihiro Nagoshi, uh, who's, you know, say, hey, don't make your next game Yakuza, make your next game. A, a new F-Zero on Switch. Or if all of that is not attractive enough, go with this tiny indie studio in Germany, Shin-In. They, Fast RMX is a really good-looking game, and it clearly is an homage to F-Zero in everything. And I think with a little bit little bit more of a budget and you know the classic music from F-Zero and, and some collaboration with Nintendo, they could make a new F-Zero game that would be really, really cool. Mm-hmm. And I, I really do if... think it would sell. Oh, go ahead, Brian. No, no, you go. I, I do think it would sell right now. I think we're kind of in the perfect storm for Nintendo right now. I mean, Perry, you alluded to it like Pikmin. How many times do we see a Switch release where it's like blank is the best selling in blank series yep. of all time? Like Paper Mario was the fastest selling Origami King on Switch, Pikmin 3, all these series that aren't huge for Nintendo. And it's like F-Zero has sold just horrifically in the past. But I think you you really play up Captain Falcon, slap him on the cover. And I think that the hardcore fans will rise up, get the word out online, and I think people will pick it up. I mean, we've seen a Mm -hmm. lot of this with series lately, like Monster Hunter took off with Monster Hunter World. Huge in Japan before that, but now it's a worldwide phenomenon because of a few tweaks and just a great marketing campaign and word of mouth. I think Yakuza is the same. Fire Emblem, too. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's the right time. We we were, you know, we were already, most of us were working here already when Fire Emblem was not a thing in the United right. States or the West, right? Where it was like, ah, it'll never take uh, take off over here. And now Fire Emblem is such a hit franchise for them. I, you know, I think the risk when Nintendo doesn't refresh its its games, uh, its its game franchise, and obviously they're keeping F-Zero around, like through Smash inclusion yeah. and all that. But when they don't keep a franchise alive, Life will find a way. We're getting Advance Wars clones out there that are really, really good. And like, I wish Nintendo had talked to that team and just said, hey, make an Advance Wars for us. And you're getting just yesterday announced uh, Giles Goddard, who was the lead on 1080 snowboarding, um, is now working on Carve Snowboarding, which is exactly 1080, but for the Oculus Quest headsets in, in VR. And that he used to work at EAD Nintendo Kyoto. And like, they, they, nothing, I bet you, nothing stood in the way of saying, of Nintendo saying, Giles, can you make 1080 for us? Other than Nintendo, you know, maybe they're feeling spread thin and it's just a lot of projects at the same time. Mm-hmm. I'm, I also think it's not a whole lot of risk, especially because um, Captain Falcon has been so prominent in the Smash series since the very beginning. I mean, Super Smash Bros. has t- basically taught people nintendo history and captain falcon has been very prominent in all of that i mean everyone knows who captain falcon is everyone knows the 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 prominent theme song because of smash and because of that i think people would be way more willing to jump into a series that hasn't been around for that long especially if it's on the switch you've got boost power (laughs) 
I need to look at the levels. games. Look at the levels. It's insane. Oh, it's just so it's cool. like straight. It's straight up like industrial evil Mario Kart. It's kind of awesome. Like, <laughs> Logan, I'm, can you repeat that? <laughs> I said that Captain Falcon's basically been in as many Smash games as F-Zero games at this point. He's, oh. he's more of an F-Zero character or a Smash Bros. character? Well, I mean, yeah, the, last, right? the last F-Zero game was Mario Kart 8. Yeah. You know, it's got, it's yeah. got a, a nice stage in it. And like they did a really nice job. And it was just kind of like this tantalizing look of what it could have been on Wii U. Um so just just do that. Honestly, you you might be right, Pear. Maybe they feel that the Mario Kart Eight took a lot of the best ideas from F Zero in terms of track design and brought it into a different direction and kind of owned that space. And maybe they're just looking at F Zero being like, how do we make this sort of visually identifiable from Mario Kart? Like outside of the fact that these look like you know spaceships yeah. rather than plumbers <laughs> driving around like with their pudgy butts hanging out and throwing. It's like it's obviously very clearly a different game, but in terms of track design, like there's a lot of similarities now. But that's maybe where if you have a template that works in the Mario Kart realm, can you go to a team like Shinin and say, hey, we want you to take the look of what you did with Fast RMX and look at F-Zero GX and, and do something like it and then kind of add some more playful Nintendo factors to it that make it identifiable as F-Zero and not Mario Kart. And then, I mean, look, if, if a new Mario Kart was out now, it'd be the best-selling game of the year, right? Like, they're obviously... <laughs> but but without a new Mario Kart, Mario Kart 8 will be one of the best-selling games of the year still, so... Yeah, I I honestly, like... And we've been saying this for years, but I really wish Nintendo would um, take some of their IPs and collaborate with, you know, third-party studios that sort of spiritually feel aligned with uh, their vision and, and creativity and, and the sort of history of these games. Like there are so many great studios out there that could be making um, sort of like the second and third tier, you know, not your Mario's and your Zelda's, although I'd love to see a 2D Zelda made by, you know, like the Shovel Knight team or something like that. But like the idea of giving a game like this to a studio like that makes perfect sense. And I wish they would do it. It'd be yeah. so cool. And then for the Sega thing, I, I looked up uh, on whether there was bad blood between Sega and Nintendo around uh, F-Zero. Uh, it's, it's hard to get, you know, Japanese developers to go on the record, which is why this interview is so cool that, was, yeah. that we've got here. You know, after he quit Nintendo that he opened up about things. There were a couple of things we cut out of the interview that I thought were really interesting. They weren't news stories, but like nice little color stories about how they work. Um, mm-hmm. But like, so Toshihiro Nagoshi once said in a Famitsu interview that he would have quit the industry if he had started at Nintendo rather than Sega. Oh, what? wow. Yeah. And so that that sounds that sounds like there is something around how the collaboration worked and, you know, what he wanted to do rather than what Nintendo wanted to do on GX. Um and uh, so maybe there's still some lingering bad blood and the two will never come together again. Uh, I mean, which is a shame. He made, yeah. two, I would say, top 10, top five GameCube games, F-Zero GX, and then uh, Monkey, Ball. Monkey Ball 1 and 2, which are yeah. incredible on GameCube yeah. and the I, peak of that series. I, I think also, like, we're in, we're in a different... We're in a different era for Nintendo now. I think that they've loosened up a little bit over the last few years. I mean, they let, you know, Davide Soliani and Ubisoft give Mario a gun 
Like we're, you know, <laughs> things, have, yeah. things have changed a little bit. Um, it's also like, I think that like probably working for Nintendo or working alongside collaborating with Nintendo back then was probably a lot tougher than it is now. I mean, not that they don't have style guides and stuff now, but if you look at even like when, you know, the, that super, that Nintendo infused scribble knots game came out, which was all about adding adjectives to characters, changing their attributes. Nintendo was like, you can't do that to you. You know, you can't make zombie Luigi and you can't make old peach or anything like that. So, like, I, I think things have changed a little bit. They're opening up a lot more. They've got theme parks and action figure lines. They're collaborating with more people. There's Muso games now. Like, there's just like, I think that like this is a this is a different era now. And so, I really hope that there's like a, a, another approach to the collaboration here because I think I think it could work more now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I'm. It, it was good to hear that he said it's not dead yet, and you know. Maybe that means there were discussions. Hard. Maybe there were discussions. It is hard. That game is hard too. Thank you. Um, maybe that means that they had lots of discussions around F Zero, and you know, we'll, we'll eventually get one, which is more than can be said for Advance Wars, where the last life sign was in the eighteen uh, hundreds. Yeah, yeah, eighteen ninety five was the last last time it was mentioned. Yeah, you just wonder if it feels like they think it's just too similar to Mario Kart, which, I mean, you play them and they're completely different. But, I mean, Advance Wars, too similar to Fire Emblem. Maybe it's just disappointing to see these these series that could be really great kind of overshadowed by by other series and similar genres. All the hover and flight parts, the big jumps were added to Mario Kart. Although Mario Kart is much more on rails when you take off, you know, when you compare Mm -hmm. to this. Like yeah. you can really kill yourself all in all sorts of spectacular <laughs> ways in this yeah. game. Like you think you have the perfect shortcuts and yeah. you're gone. I mean, yeah. I, I guess like in the meantime, uh, the original Super Nintendo F-Zero is available on the SNES online app. So if you do want to play an F-Zero game on your Switch, um, you have that. Uh, I also recommend Fast RMX. Uh, I mentioned it before. It's It launched alongside the Switch uh, and it's super, super cool. It's about as close as we've gotten to sort of like an exclusive, you know, futuristic F-Zero style racing game on a Nintendo platform in a while. Shinen is one of those studios where I feel like Nintendo should have just bought them already. Like the the tourist, Mm -hmm. if that is kind of like it has almost a charm of like a Paper Mario where they kind of mess with the, the shapes of figures. Like if that was like Mario or Nintendo themed in some way, it would be a huge success. And Mm -hmm. it's a small studio. They should, they should grab them. They they also have an awesome history of sort of like getting the most power out of, uh, you know, traditionally underpowered Nintendo handhelds and consoles. Like they were always there, like almost day one to be like, here's what you can do on the Nintendo DS. It's like a 3D shmup and it's gorgeous. And it's got, you know, like it looks like like mini ray tracing, basically like they're 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 an amazing studio. I hope they get to work with Nintendo more. Well, hopefully we will see more from F-Zero or like from Nintendo showing F-Zero sometime in the near future. But we did have some questions from everyone at the Nintendo Podcast Forums Facebook group. I think you guys have already answered some of these questions. For example, Richard asked if uh, we think Nintendo lacks the necessary hardware for a proper F-Zero sequel and mentions the lack of analog triggers. We've already talked about the the 30 player online scenario. But what do you think about the lack of analog triggers uh, affecting F-Zero? I don't think that's an issue. I think the the biggest factor in the F-Zero games is the the shoulder button drifts. 
uh, rather than any sort of nuance with the accelerator. Yeah. Like, well, so does the Joy-Con, is usually, so that works perfectly. F-Zero is usually full power. Yeah, it'll drift. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> right? Like, what do you think, Logan? Like, it, it doesn't feel like analog is that important, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think about drifting on the SNES, and they just had the, the shoulder buttons. So, uh, right. yeah, I don't yeah. think that's really an inhibitor. Yeah, and the yeah the GameCube obviously had really cool triggers, but yeah. I don't feel like they were essential for GX the way it would be for you know like a Gran Turismo or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also wanted to mention um, the the Magnamalo the special edition controller feels better than the original Pro controller. I really don't know really? why or what the D pad feels like it works better. The triggers feel like less likely you're going to accidentally press them, and it feels a little bit heavier. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't know. Maybe I'm just imagining things. I ha- I have an original one. Like, compare. I should weigh them. I'll weigh to, them and come back next week and let you know. <laughs> that's a really good idea. I have to, I have to compare yeah. them. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It's a beautiful controller either way. I wonder. I I just wonder if they just made some small changes and didn't bother to say anything about it. But next question is from Evan Beedolf, and they ask pair. And also, I'm going to extend this to Logan. I know you are a fan of this F Zero. What do you like most about the series, and why? Um, well, at first, uh, when I first played it, it was kind of like this demonstration of the Super Nintendo hardware where you realized what a big step it, up it was, right? Like the, how clever it was to just tilt the playing field and have, have like use it for this maximum speed. But the thing that I always loved the most is this, how smooth and how fast the franchise is. And when we got to F-Zero X... When we when we saw the first screenshots of that game on the N64, it looked so much less detailed than most racing games that were coming out. And then you play it and you realize how impressive it is to see this field of all these all these racers ahead of you, like being really part of this giant pack of of cars. Um, that was something that we didn't really have in a lot of games. And I still love that to date where you like you're position 32 and you hit your boost and like your counter goes like 31, 31, 19, 4, 6, you know, like you're like, <laughs> like this kind of this excitement of pack racing. And then, you know, you kind of smash into them and knock a couple out. It's just, I, I love that feel. What about you, Logan? Yeah, I, there's a couple of things about it I love. I'm a huge racing fan, IndyCar racing. I, I've been watching that since I was a kid. And when I first played F-Zero, it, I was like, this feels like watching IndyCar racing. Like, it's so fast and so technical. And there's just, it's, Nintendo just doesn't make anything like that anymore. And I love that about it. And just the the push and pull, the risk-reward system, specifically in, like, GX or X, where you, your boost is tied to your health bar. So when you're boosting and your health is depleting and you're like, I can see first place, but I, my car is about to explode. Do I go for it here or not? And just that, uh, that, that split-second decision-making on just these rapid rapid rapidly fast tracks is just so much fun and, and learning a course too like you're so bad at it the first time you do it you're just I, awful and going back and and getting better uh is something i wish that 3d sonic felt like when i played it too and it never has and um i'm like it could take some lessons from f-zero so that gx kind of- when you when you watch some of the footage by the way like sometimes it looks like somebody's fast forwarding this game like you it looks like <laughs> yeah. you you're watching the footage and you're like it can't be that fast you can't react it but like as you as you play the game you really get that good with the reaction times and and how you learn the the courses and like it seems improbable when you first see it that you could ever mm-hmm. master a level but with a lot of time you can and it feels I, so good when you do so good i really think 
recently games have been going away from making making game design where you have to repeatedly do something before you're able to do it. I know I'm saying that as a Monster Hunter fan. I know that that is a, a thing in Monster Hunter, but as far as like full levels of like needing to memorize like where 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 to go and what to do and exactly and exact your timing in order to succeed. I I like as a kid like platformers were kind of like that for me. Like you'd have to mm-hmm. memorize things before you could master the level and until then you would just like fumble through it. Mm-hmm. But I also this kind of segues into this question from Patrick and we kind of touched on this before as well, but does F-Zero need a lackey to, to help put players back on the track when they crash or are the high stakes part of the appeal? A hundred percent it needs because it is, it is incredibly frustrating if you're on like lap four of a race and you misjudge the jump slightly and you bounce off the barrier and, and you're dead and it's retired. And like mm-hmm. an entire championship yeah. can be ruined that way. And it, it does get so frustrating. I do think the risk reward could still be there with a boost meter. Like if your ship blows up, that should be it. Like your ship should be done. And so like being able to play it dangerously and really pushing your boost and, and bringing your, your shield down to mm-hmm. nothing, I think that should the punishment for that should be death. But okay. for falling out, they, they should give you a time penalty. Yeah, or, or like a boost penalty, like drop your health bar to half if you if you fall off the edge yep. or something like that could work. Or even just have a variation of difficulties. I mean, Fire, Fire Emblem has had it, like have permadeath on or not. So just yeah. yep. have it yep. on, just a toggle of on or off if you want to have it on. Or have a like mode. That or not. There, oh, there, yeah. there, there are modes where you knock out enemies like a death ray mm-hmm. style. They, they, they could still have permadeath in that, you know. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of different ways they can go around it and make Mm -hmm. it pleasing to a huge variety of old fans and then also appeal to new players as well. But I wanted to move on to some other parts of the interview. Like I said, I implore everyone to go read it. It's very interesting. The interview, um, again, was with um, the ex-designer Takia Imamura. He worked there for 30 years and he has so many tidbits. Um, He considers F-Zero GX to be the ultimate F-Zero, which I think all of you already agreed with wholeheartedly and i do he also mentioned i had no idea that games made back on the super nintendo and even the nintendo 64 were made on incredibly small teams so between like 10 and 30 people and one of the things that struck out to me from the interview was how he worked on uh, a link to the past Mm -hmm. and he he's credited as an object designer and objects in a video game are things that aren't part of the background so the thing that you can pick up and interact with however he also designed almost all of the bosses uh and that wasn't and that wasn't just the art it was also the mechanics he would sit down and work with a a designer or programmer and together they would come up with the mechanics for those and i think this is really interesting because he we learned from the interview that he started at nintendo as an artist wanting to provide art for booklets because his aspirations were to become a a manga uh artist Hmm. and then he gets thrown onto the research and development team and is asked to make games now and it just is really interesting how back then teams were so small that you would kind of help every sense of the way and i just thought that was very interesting well the cool thing is that all of his uh items did end up in booklets oh yeah that's true (laughs) he just had to design the whole game first i mean you know (laughs) but um was there anything else that kind of stood out to you guys from that interview that you want to mention 
Now, I can mention one of the parts that we left out because there, I would there love was that. There, there, there was a, a lot and a lot of it was color and not giving you too much insight. But he described working with Rare like he was uh, he was the guy who had to go out to um, to Twycross to uh, England to uh, visit Rare during the creation of some of the games like Star Fox Adventures. And he was just recalling how. Uh, he, he stayed, it was like the absolute countryside and Rare's offices were beautiful, but the hotel he stayed at looked exactly like Luigi's mansion. And it was just creaky and creepy and old and the shower had no hot water. And like, <laughs> when you think about that and you're like, here's a top designer who's made these giant games and he's like staying, staying in this really crappy little uh, uh, bed and breakfast um, to go to visit the company that made Goldeneye. It's just such a... It's it's interesting because you you got to think that you know there's a certain amount of humility with people like him who work behind the scenes and work on these big games still. Mm-hmm. Again, uh, everyone should go read the full interview on IGN.com. We will link it in the description and in the article. It's really cool. Go do that. But moving on to our next topic, thank you all three of you for that amazingly insightful F Zero discussion. I'm very glad that we finally got to do that. Thank you, Logan, for setting that up this year i decided i actually wanted to like follow hockey a little bit more than just the most casual of casuals so i subscribed to a service that streams all of the nhl to your television uh the boston bruins home opener i went to watch it and boom blackout restrictions apply which i thought was kind of ridiculous because i'm still 200 miles away from boston but whatever had i had nordvpn that wouldn't have been a problem i would have just gone in changed my settings to another geographic area and boom i could have been watching all the boston bruins home games like it was nothing at all so now i have nordvpn and i can watch the home games of my local teams streaming without being frustrated it's the same thing with like netflix it has all these complicated licensing rules which from one country to another don't really make sense so something you could watch on south korean netflix you won't be able to watch on the united states netflix unless nordvpn boom switch south korea and you're watching whatever korean drama that you want I highly recommend you do that. I haven't done it myself, but people seem to enjoy them. And who am I to try to bring down people's enjoyment? Uh, NordVPN, more than just entertainment and sports availability, it's going to protect you, especially when you're traveling, when you're using public Wi-Fi. People are trying to get in there. They're creeping on you. Bad actors, people trying to steal your password, your bank account details. Who knows what the government's doing these days? I can't keep track. They're all over the damn place. NordVPN... It's going to protect you. It's going to protect up to six devices because I know you have at least that many devices in front of you right now that can hook up to the internet. Boom. Fastest VPN in the world. You're not going to get any buffering. You're not going to get any lagging. Uh, It's going to stop your ISP from bandwidth throttling, which they do. That's kind of sneaky, especially how much you're paying those guys. There's threat protection to protect you from viruses and malicious malware and whatever else. Uh, Um unsavory actors are out there if you want to get the best discount off your nord vpn plan go to nordvpn.com slash nintendo vc that's nordvpn.com slash nintendo vc victor charlie uh that link is also going to give you four extra months on the two-year plan there is no risk with nord's 30-day money-back guarantee that's nice of them and i appreciate that 
Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. And for topic number two, the Great Ace Attorney Chronicles has officially been announced for the PS4 I Switch. I am so <laughs> excited for this. Oh my goodness. Good. I'm glad. I'm so... Just... As a quick summary, uh, this bundles together 2015's The Great Ace Attorney and its 2017 sequel together in a single package. These were originally Japan-exclusive 3DS games. So once again, we are provided with proof that Nintendo can port 3DS games to the Switch. Please do that more. Um, <laughs> so, But yeah, no one in the U.S. has been able to play this yet. And it will have dual audio support, so you can play with the English dub or Japanese. And these are prequels set in the Victorian era. <laughs> Why are you? Heck I, yeah. it's, uh, it's so cool. Yeah, I heck yeah. <laughs> I, I never got to play these two. I don't know, Logan, did you play them? They're, they were only in Japanese, but like just uh, looking at the trailers back when it was announced, like the, the main character is called uh, Yu Nosuke, Na, uh, Nosuke Naruhodo, which means, of course. Right. <laughs> so it's just super punny. What was it? Herlock Sholmes and, <laughs> and Iris Wilson. She's not a doctor, apparently, but still. And it's set in the Japanese Meiji era, right, which is our Victorian age. It's just so, it's just so funny that they did a full prequel to the to the Ace Attorney. Um, I, I I'm I can't wait to play this. Yeah, Ace Attorney is my favorite game series of all time, hands Whoa. down. Wow. I, I love this franchise. I've been playing them since I was in elementary school. Uh, and I wanted to be a lawyer for a long time. I think it was probably probably because of this. Uh, Now that I'm older, I know that's not realistic at all what goes on in those courtrooms, obviously. Uh, But it's it's been almost five years since an Ace Attorney game has come over here. Uh, Spirit of Justice on 3DS was the last one, and I didn't think these things were ever going to get brought over. I thought these were going to just stay in Japan. There's a number of reasons I didn't think they were going to be brought over. He, the character is just Sherlock Holmes in the <laughs> Japanese version. Now, for the localization, he's Sherlock Holmes. Um, they, for years and years, the localization team has tried to make it look like Ace Attorney takes place in the U.S., but it's it's obviously not. I mean, they're but it's main so Japanese. Show. Yeah, it is so Japanese. And now they're just they're saying, screw it. I mean, they didn't even change the names like these are Japanese names for the main characters. So I think they're yeah. kind of abandoning that idea. Um, but this is just so exciting. I'm curious about some of the localization. I played a fan translation of the first one, and there are some things I don't think would fly over here. Uh, Sherlock Holmes can be. I'd say a little bit racist at times. Uh, it's it, He's like a bumbling fool in this game. It's oh, kind wow. of how he's played. Well, that's Herlock Sholmes for you. <laughs> exactly. So I'm 
I'm really curious, having played a few cases of localization, just how different his characterization is going to be. I thought that was a big hurdle for it coming over here. Mm. Um, I, but I just can't wait for this. I, I love these games. I'm like with each one. I fall in love with the, the games despite the limitations that don't seem to be going away. Like there, there's sometimes cases where you know the answer, but you can't figure out the game system to signal it to the courtroom the right yeah. way, right? Like you, you think you're flagging the right thing and it goes, no, that's not it, Brr, and everybody's sad. And, you know, mm-hmm. um, and I'm, I'm, I'm hoping we get to a point where this franchise is so successful in the West where they do they do consider a serious upgrade where we'll get a fully animated full voice version. And then on top of it, some, some uh, game systems that are a little bit more involved, like instead of like the kind of hidden object, like still shots more of an exploration of the crime scenes and stuff. But um, I, yeah, I, I love all of these games. And like, I do think the, the characters are so outrageous and every court, every trial ends with the real culprit being in the courtroom, of course, and being accused instead <laughs> of the person who is obviously not guilty. And it's just so great. I know that uh, this, it says um, in our article that the new, it's this is new to the great ace attorney. There's an expanded jury system and um, a little bit more involvement of persuading the jury member so I mean, they're like it's not the same thing it's not as involved as described but there is something additional that weren't in the other uh other games and, yeah and, and that was have, something they introduced. have evolved yeah there there's small things that improve right mm-hmm. like logan for example like you can look at the facial expressions of characters change yeah. when they get nervous like that wasn't in the originals that have been added over the years but yeah i haven't seen the system yet what that looks the like. the late nace attorney crossover uh messed with that too it introduced a a jury stand that had like five people and there's a guy on the left and you're like where were you at this time and he's like oh i was here and then someone on the far right is like oh and then you're like why did you just freak out about that that's right to like that's just right. kind of monitor every witness so this is pretty similar to that and it's uh shu takami who is the creator of ace attorney stepped aside after the fourth game wrote Leighton Ace Attorney, and he actually came back to Capcom to write these two games. So this is the original writer of the original trilogy, which people hands down think is the best awesome. Ace Attorney there is. That's great. I'm, I, I am very crossover. excited for these because I've I've been recently looking for more games that aren't necessarily action games but would still keep me engaged. And this looks perfect for that. So this package will be coming out on July 27th uh, this year for PS4, Switch and PC via Steam. And it includes both the games, the great Ace Attorney and its sequel. So very cool. I'm excited for this. I'm also very, yeah, I'm also very glad Absolutely. that all of you are excited. July is looking extremely busy now. Uh, we're getting what are we getting in July? Monster Hunter Stories. We're getting this game. Skyward getting, Sword. Yeah, we're getting Skyward Sword. There was another right. JRPG coming out in July that I'm uh, World Ends With You. Is also coming. There we go. The World Ends With You. But there's so many games coming out like yeah. in July. Like I can't I can't do it. Stop. When are we? What, and Famicom Detective Club. That's in when is that? May. That's right? in May, that's and now fun. I'm a lot less inclined to play those. I'm still going to though. We, I'm hoping a I, demo comes out for those other games. I I, th- I think we're at the cusp of some of the games that were traditionally only popular in Japan, just getting bigger and bigger here. And like mm-hmm. it, it started really with Fire Emblem, and I hope it's and Yakuza obviously is following in those tracks. I, I hope it continues. I know that it's probably not a completely direct correlation, but look at how much more popular anime has gotten over here in recent years. I mean, I remember growing up, the only way to watch it was like, guess I'm going to watch what Cartoon Network has on and Mm -hmm. four kids and 
WB and that was basically it. The selection was almost nothing. So if you met another anime fan, odds were they were watching the same stuff you were. Yep. But now mm-hmm. we have so many streaming services and so many people mm-hmm. are interested in that form of entertainment that I feel like games like um, Ace Attorney and the Detective Club would appeal to a broader audience just because anime is so much more prevalent and readily available now. So let's move on to more news, though. Uh, thank you again for talking about the great Ace Attorney Chronicles. But in more news, I know we already mentioned Super Monkey Ball as another Sega game uh, that came out on the Nintendo series. But a previously unannounced game has been rated in Australia. It's called Super Monkey Ball Banana Mania. And the last Super Monkey Ball game was Super Monkey Ball Banana Blitz HD, which came out in 2019, but that was an uprise of, of a Wii game. So it's been a while <laughs> since we got a... Down. Yeah. yeah, man. <laughs> I, I'm with you. I loved the GameCube Super Monkey Ball. I beat that game multiple times. It was incredibly fun. Mm-hmm. So, but I, we're going to get a new Super Monkey Ball game? Will it be good? Uh, the t- just the title <laughs> banana mania it just sounds like banana blitz yeah. and banana yeah. splits which are really bad monkey ball games that series plummeted downhill after the first two entries on gamecube and i mean there's been rumors of a return to form for the series the announcer the ready go he's been saying oh we're making something special for classic <laughs> oh. monkey ball fans <laughs> but now banana mania, awesome. we'll see I don't know. Yeah, I'm a little we worried were, about it. We were talking before about like the F-Zero and Star Fox franchises overthinking the sort of core philosophy of why people enjoy these games. Monkey yeah. Ball did the exact same thing. Like mm-hmm. I, to me, once they, they introduced like a jump and uh, a bunch of other kind of useless mechanics, a lot of stuff that was, you know, hinged around uh, waggle controls and like touchscreen mm-hmm. controls. And it, uh, they just they kind of lost the plot. Um, Monkey Ball one and two are certified classics. They are two of the best like sort of action puzzle games ever made. Watching people speed run those things is sublime. It is like one of my favorite things in the world. Yeah. Um, I I'd still go back and play them every time I get a chance. I would love a port of those two games on Switch. I, I feel like when they when they reintroduced uh, monkey ball to nintendo switch they picked the wrong one <laughs> it was like yeah. they just picked the best selling yeah. one yeah which is i mean it's because bizarre. That was on the Wii, so. it was on the Wii, yeah i feel like the jump is a fundamental misunderstanding of the control system it's like yeah you yeah. are in you're not the monkey you're you're the world you're in you're charge the, of the yeah, world, the world. <laughs> and introducing a jump the environment can make you jump already right yeah like, yeah. You, yeah that's it, the whole it, point yeah, I, I, like that's the thing that it just doesn't work in that game. I actually did like back with the original some of the little mini games they they introduced, like the you know the kind of gliding stuff. Like they there were a oh, lot of good target, ideas. So yeah, also, there were a lot also of good real, ideas. real quick, just for anyone who may not be familiar with Monkey Ball, the whole point is you. So it's like that one shrine <laughs> in the Legend of Zelda <laughs> and Breath of the Wild where you're controlling a big ball, but you use the switch motion controls to control the actual like how the level is tilting. So you were trying to get the mm-hmm. ball to go where you wanted to go. And that's how Monkey Ball works. But you can like do yeah. quick movements with it to get them to jump. And your whole point is to like get to the end of the level without 
the monkey ball falling off the level. And yep. along the way, you have, you know, the option of collecting bananas. as many bananas as you want. And like, you know, there's items and power ups here and there and stuff like that. But so many uh, secrets, like hidden, so many secrets. Yeah. Hidden places. But, but like mm-hmm. what what's interesting about this is that it's effectively this this franchise is a spiritual successor to like a very ancient marble rolling uh, concept. Right. Starting mm-hmm. from games like Marble Madness, which uh, like got modernized tons of times over the year, but were o- always devoid of personality there are always these sort of like cold you know mechanical this is just like a 3d rendered ball rolling around a maze whereas monkey ball was the first one to be like oh you get to you get to pick a different character they scream when they die you know like there's boss fights sometimes which we don't really want we don't necessarily <laughs> so need those bad. things yeah. yeah but and, and but there are also be mini games that were like the kind of mini games where you could legit spend as much time playing them like monkey target and i forget the one that was sort of like a um, I, I almost like a Mario Party mini game where four players were on like a flat thing. They had to knock each other off. Oh, um, yeah, monkey boxing, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Like stuff fun. like that. It's really fun. And um, I really think that there's a chance here for like this to really succeed on Switch. And I think that like mm-hmm. it was kind of uh, like boneheaded of them to take the most or the best selling one and port it to Switch. It's. Yeah. You know, it's it's one of those like things where like the, the thermometer's off, right? Like it's that yep. thing EA always does where they're like, Oh, like we're gonna test the waters with like a FIFA game and you're like, maybe, Well no, yeah. do something better. I mean, maybe they just did that because it was easier to port because it looked better. For sure. Probably for sure. But yeah. so we all agree, make it good again, and then number two, I I I I and smash. Mm-hmm. Just yeah. oh, hey. roll, awesome. roll over all those fools, man. <laughs> I got a couple things I wanna add real quick. Mm-hmm. Um also, the, the party games and Banana Blitz, they had 50 of them and they're all really bad. And like you go back to two and it's like there's 10 amazing party good. games. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, there's just so much that's better about one and two that, man, it's it's just my week on NBC. Ace Attorney, Monkey Ball, <laughs> F-Zero. It's it's all fantastic. Um, and I think about other marble games just like I think about other visual novels and other futuristic racers. And it's like, man, Monkey Ball just does it so right compared to the other games in that genre. And just those mm-hmm. two, first two games are just like lightning in a bottle for that for that series. And I, I just need it to come back. And a game I need to shout out is, have any of you heard of Rolled Out? Mm-mm. That's the recent one that came to Steam, yeah. correct? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it is a spiritual successor to Super Monkey Ball 1 and 2. It's in early access right now on Steam. It is a group of Monkey Ball super fans who love the first two don't like the direction the series went and are recapturing those two games. And I have played it and it feels like one and two. It is so good. If you love classic monkey ball, you should go check it out. It's 20 bucks on steam. And it's like a front runner for my game of the year right now. It's, it's that's awesome. I I know you you guys already mentioned this, but I I love this resurgence of diehard fans Mm -hmm. making games because the original developers aren't coming out with them and that, fast enough or with what they want to see like with stardew valley and as you mentioned um what what, what was the advanced wars one um oh my goodness it has oh, a dog war group, war group yeah, yeah. Like, it's the one with the d- sorry yes. <laughs> and uh, all of those other games so this is that's really awesome it's cool to see i mean this yep. is a painting with a um, you know like a large brush here but i feel like uh there's a better track record of that happening than it is when for the most part the original creators makes a spiritual successor <laughs> um and it's you know, like if you look at mighty number no. nine mm-hmm. balan wonderland like there's Ooh. there's there's been a lot of scenarios like that where someone's like i'm gonna recapture that amazing thing i did 
Um, but also like I'm completely disconnected from why people like that to begin with. Whereas I feel like fans sometimes are more in tune with that, but then again, they Mm -hmm. can't use any of the the original characters or likenesses. So they can't, I mean, they should have just put different animals in the ball. Honestly, (laughs) wasn't, Super hippo ball. That's that's what they do. Rolled out. It's a little rat that runs around right now. Yeah. Oh, really? That makes sense. Uh-huh. Oh, great, perfect. There we go. That's I'm all in. we need. That's all I we need. Straight rat. up monkey ball without the monkeys. Just a ton of other animals. Rat in. ball. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry. Um, also, uh, we finally, I guess not finally, but we did get news that Lego Luigi is coming. So, as an expansion to the Super Mario uh, Lego sets. Uh, it was actually leaked with an update and then they just went ahead and officially announced it. But it's coming out on August 1st. It is available for pre-order. The starter course is a $59.99 and the set includes 280 pieces and can, of course, be combined with all previous Lego Super Mario sets. Uh, do any of you have any of these Lego sets? Brian, I feel like this is a this is a you joint. I was very I collect like weird uh, Mario figures. So I was tempted to get it for that, but I haven't picked it up. I like to me, I'm I'm still a little irked that they didn't go with a traditional minifig thing on this one. I understand they wanted to bring in the sort of playable video game aspect to it. Uh, It seems like the kind of thing that like if you get a ton of sets, it's probably a blast. But the base $60 set of just Mario didn't really interest me. That said, I, I really like what they're doing here. Like it's this look has really grown on me. Like I, I appreciate how toyetic this is for Lego, which traditionally does a lot of stuff that is sort of like the fun is building it. And then you look at it and you carefully move it from place to place for the rest of your life and hope it doesn't drop. Um, whereas in this scenario, like this is all about sort of tearing it down and bringing it back up. One cool thing about this Lego Luigi is I believe he's like the exact same form factor as Mario, but the way they designed his face makes him look sort of longer and leaner and a little more like sort of narrow, which I mm-hmm. think that's that's really clever. Um, but yeah, I don't know if if like I walked into a store and there was like 15 of these sets on clearance and I, I brought him home and built an entire Mario level with my kid. I think that'd be a blast. But like, I think we did the math uh, on IGN a, a couple of years ago or when, when these were first announced about like how much money it would cost to sort of buy all of them, which obviously they don't expect you to do. But w- between the sort of like uh, deliberate sets and the blind bags of characters and enemies and stuff like that, uh-huh. it gets into the, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollar range. So um, that said, you don't need them all, but it's cool yeah. that they're making them. I have I some also- of them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I have some of them. It's definitely, you know, I'm, I, I have a lot of Lego in the house and, and uh, I am I actively enjoy the more complex builds, whether it's Star Wars or some of the space stuff that that Lego does. This is very simplistic. Like the builds are very, very simple. And the hook is that sort of interaction, like the the feedback you get from the figure, like touching things. So it is I, I would say, Brian, like your kid. Um, you know, once she gets older, she'll really like this. But as a kind of like a Mario fan collector, it doesn't get me too excited just because mm-hmm. it's so simple. I'd love to see like a, a really intricately designed track, you know, like level, something like that. Um, I I also think it's kind of an adult tendency to feel like, oh, like it comes with this one thing, but... I feel like I need all of the things to really appreciate it. Whereas children don't have that. Like you give them one thing and they will love that and get entertainment out of it for hours and hours and hours. Mm -hmm. At least speaking from my experience as a child, I don't know how children work nowadays. It might be totally different. But when I was a kid, like I had like two or three games for the Super Nintendo and I didn't even think 
to ask for more or be disappointed that I didn't have more of those things. Same things with mm-hmm. Lego sets and everything. I just was happy with what I had and entertained myself. Well, the the sort of like Kinder Egg surprise blind box blind bag culture thing now is yeah. is you know it was definitely around when we were younger, mm-hmm. but it is so much more prevalent now. So it's very interesting because it preys into the idea that maybe you don't need them all, but you're still going to buy a lot because you want one or two specific ones. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also like I don't know if I mean you guys have probably seen this, but on YouTube there's like thousands of videos of kids just opening up blind bag blind box toys and being like, I wonder what I got. You know, you, you probably most recently saw that with Pokemon cards is sort of like scratching that same itch. Um, and so I, I don't know when I was a kid, I was like, I need every Ghostbuster. I need every Ninja Turtle. And my parents were like, no. Or they were like, you can do chores and, you know, earn money over the course of five years until you grow out of these things and collect them individually. But no, I think I think you're right, Casey. I, I, th- I think there's less of an impetus to get every single one. Um, and that that is definitely more of an adult trait. <laughs> Right, pair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we we were just briefly talking about this for the there's it's there's a Monster Hunter board game Kickstarter, and you can get the base like of the board game for like not that expensive. How much was it? Like fifty or sixty dollars for mm-hmm. a board game that's not for a really intricate board game that is not actually that expensive. However, to get all of it. It's three hundred dollars, which is quite <laughs> expensive. And I'm like, well, if I'm not going to get the three hundred dollar version, I don't want it. <laughs> <laughs> it. It does have Casey Casey dragons, both in. You know, I want the elder dragons. Very big, big miniatures in it. Oh uh, yeah, I, I want it. But last piece of news <laughs> for this week, bypassing that. So we just here got word. I was so excited about this when I heard about this 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 morning, like just ecstatic. I immediately like brought up those links to buy this thing. And that thing is the Instax mini link, which is a smartphone photo printer is getting a Nintendo switch app that will let you print your photos. Like the ones you're going to take in new Pokemon snap, or maybe those photos you took of you and your friends hanging out in animal crossing. And I love it. (laughs) so much and you can do a bunch of different designs and it's going to be an official app which also means you can decorate your regular photos with nintendo themed characters and borders and everything as well and it is coming out so this printer is actually already available the app just won't be available until the 30th however on april 30th the same day the new pokemon snap is coming out there will be a bundle that um, includes a little protector for the Insects Mini, which is, it's, it's like a little tiny handheld um, Polaroid printer. So you get those really small, um, like a, polaroids that you can print from it and it connects to your phone so you can print out all of your regular photos as well and it it comes with like a little pikachu case that makes it look like a pikachu mm. <laughs> but and it also comes with this new color called ash white and i mean obviously it's 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 just white with some like red and blue details but it's based off you know the same colors as ash from the pokemon anime i am not going to wait for the special edition one because i feel like <laughs> these are going to be sold out immediately in stacks yeah so yeah it's in stacks it's a i-n-s-t-a-x it's actually a part of a fujifilms line my biggest question is will this app work with other printers that are not the instax mini link Mm. and i don't know the answer to that question but that is my biggest question um probably not but and a lot of people don't know this. 
you can print photos in what? 2021. Well, yeah, <laughs> this, is, this is so funny to me. This is where like we've we boomerang so like we are now nostalgic for stuff that we that we've made obsolete 15 years ago. It's hilarious because printer. Yeah, this so we had the Game Boy printer back in the day, which you could take photos on the Game Boy camera and then print on. You had to get these proprietary paper ribbon, you know, which was great. Uh, I believe there's like these weird like ink cartridge things or whatever. Um, but you can theoretically right now get a photo printer on Amazon. I know it doesn't have like the cutesy form factor of this thing that looks sort of like a humidifier or something it's, like that, it's, it's an AirPods case. Could yeah. you put a Pikachu sticker on it though, Brian? Could you do no, that? No, no, no. Um, but yeah, you could theoretically take pictures on your, or take screen caps on your Switch and then send them, your tweet them or like save them to an SD card, put the SD card in your computer and print the photos. That's, that's, you've had that power for a very long time now. So that's it. I, so I, I know, I know, I know. But I am very happy. I'm very happy that like, we are now nostalgic for tangible photographs again. We have been for a while, right? Like there's actually, uh, Polaroid has had a, sort of a resurgence in the same way vinyl has over the last 10 or so years where people are just like, I take all these pictures. What do I do with them? You know, like photographs used to be like a physical thing. I sound like a, a senior citizen right now, <laughs> but uh, I actually really love this. I think it's super cute. It's like if if it's like something that, you know, like young adults can use or it's like some kid's first printer, like the idea of like taking screenshots on your Nintendo Switch and hit a bu- hitting a button and then having like a, a, a picture of it is is adorable like that's i I don't know i think that's really really special um even though this this is just like the tech we've had for (laughs) forever now it's it's funny to me is this app gonna make getting my nintendo switch screenshots to wikis easier it might i don't even Uh, need the photo i don't even need the photo printer to use the app yes maybe (laughs) i don't don't like dealing with sd cards i don't know i just want to like email them off directly well, they make set up. Yeah, they, they made the image sharing easier already, right? Yeah, like they, they did. A, it's a, a yeah. QR code now, right? Yep. You can. Casey, yeah, what you, you should already. do? Set up a set up a like a dummy uh, Twitter account. Yeah. And just tweet <laughs> make your it private and tweet. Make it like a, a private Twitter account where you just tweet photos, um, and then you can take those photos and put them on a wiki or put them on a, on a printer. <laughs> put them anywhere. Okay, so I think we've determined you don't technically need this specific product and that specific app, but but it's really cool. Casey, but but like it'll let you edit your photos in unique ways. I'm sure those already exist. You're right. You could you could some there are other ways to get your Nintendo Switch photos onto your phone or onto your computer into a photo editing app and then use a different printer. Right, but how many of them come with like a a large rubber Pikachu shell? Think about that. Probably very few. I'd say close to zero. Also, this is (laughs) it is like the ease factor, right? Like you you immediately you just scan it. It goes into an app automatically where you can automatically edit, and it you just prints right off of your phone. It's not the ease factor because you have to buy a printer. (laughs) It's a hundred dollar. It's not all right. It's a hundred dollars and it's small. You can put it in a purse or if you have boy pants, you can put them in a pocket. Um, <laughs> so uh, they, they're coming cute colors. I don't know, man. I'm trying. I'm trying to. I just want to be able to print my, my photos. I'll do some research and I will come back next week with my definitive my definitive decision. Do you need this particular printer okay. with that particular app? I will do that <laughs> next week during our presumed Pokemon new Pokemon snap. 
Please review report discussion. Back. I will. We will talk about that. The best way. Two-hour print... special. Maybe we should. Just... <laughs> yeah, two-hour special. The best way to print your Pokemon new Pokemon Snap photos. All to have a full breakdown, sixteen hundred words. That's really not that long. That's not a long explanation at all. It's like I don't know, three minutes. No, eight, <laughs> eight minutes of discussion. Anyway, I'm excited. I'm sorry you guys aren't. Maybe I don't, shouldn't be. I okay. I'm not. I'm not not excited. I think it's. I think it's very cool. I think it's very cool. I, also I am think not it's, excited. Okay, you're not excited. Yeah, they think, it's, they think it's useless. That's fine. Well, okay. So I, I can't I'm believe like, you guys are still talking about this little printer. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, for for decades now, photos have only existed on your phone, and there's no way to bring them to real life. No, that's until true. now with the Instax yeah. Mini Link available <laughs> on April 30th. Year. It's <laughs> been out for a year. You can go get one of these right now. It just doesn't have the Nintendo Switch app yet. I hate you all. <laughs> <laughs> well, any. Uh, no, Casey. I think it's cool. Casey, move on. <laughs> I'll move on. I'm sorry. I'm just like, man, I feel like I've been duped by the marketing. Casey, our listeners dropped to uh, four people and they all work for us. Oh, Instax. God. Okay. We're moving, we're moving <laughs> on to things that we are playing and reading. Thank you for listening to our news about Super Monkey Ball, Luigi, Luigi coming to Lego, and this stupid camera that everyone hates. But <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about what we're playing and reading. Specifically, I did want to have a brief discussion about Askiwata. I've uh, started reading it. I'm not super far into it. How uh, I know that Pear has started to read it. Brian and Logan, have you uh, started to read this book? Yes. Yeah, I love it. It's mm-hmm. um, it's like a it's like a it's like a hug. <laughs> like it's my yeah. best way to describe it. It is very it's like very warm and sweet. And um, it it makes me feel really lucky that we had Awada and really sad that we don't have him anymore. But it is it is also like it's largely about um, uh, managing a company, which is like yeah. really yeah. interesting. Like it is mm-hmm. it is very um, business corporate, but also from somebody who it doesn't really I think was elevated to those roles because he was great at them, but not necessarily because he was like a cutthroat businessman or anything like that. Like there's he has a very sort of like hands on boots in the ground approach to running a company and, and management or did. Um, and a lot of it was sort of like talking to people and seeing what they're what they're good at. He has a line in there that, I, that it was sort of just like companies. The, the point, the purpose of a company is basically to get a bunch of people together um, with individual specific skills to create like uh, to something that they wouldn't have been able to create alone. And I think that's like fundamentally opposed to a lot of the way like most cutthroat modern businesses mm-hmm. run. And it was like really sweet to read that. Like, I think he really genuinely cared about the talents of the people around him and, um, you, you know, carefully considered their skills. Yeah, it's like it's it's a re- it's a really good book. It's it's also like it's a, it's super brisk read. I'm, I mm-hmm. think I finished it in it's like really two two sittings. So yeah. um, you can fly through it pretty and quick. Also, just a, a brief summary. Satoru Iwata was the um, fourth president and was the CEO of Nintendo. He originally started out at a Hall Laboratories, which like it goes through his like life story a little bit of like how he got involved in programming and how he got started at Hall and actually ended up taking over um, Hall when they were in a huge amount of debt and it was a huge undertaking for him. And one of the things that he began doing was interviewing every single employee twice a year. And he said that those Mm. interviews would last somewhere between 30 minutes to upwards of like hours, depending on the conversation. And there's just so many like 
nuggets of wisdom and advice on how to interact with people in the workplace as either an employee or a manager. And I, I feel like it is so insightful. But as Brian said, it is not cutthroat at all. It is all about respecting people and like how to interact with people instead of a it's not it's not like here's how to run a business. It's like here's how to interact with people to for the best wholesome effect. Yeah, it's it's a charming book. I, I finished it as well. The the first half of the book, I, at, at first, what made what made the first half of the book special was that it was Iwata speaking. The the things he says in the first half to someone like me, who's I've read a whole bunch of management books, um, from the bad ones to the helpful ones, and like he echoes a lot of the strategies on how to manage people and how to let people discover, you know, their what they're strong at, and and you know how how you how you encourage your staff. Like a lot of that was echoed and not new to me or didn't didn't sound particularly unique but they but even though there's this translator you can tell there's this humility in this man because he came in as a programmer and then the second half i think is where the book is strongest because it goes to a little bit more of the behind the scenes um stories about how he thought about programming and how that helped him as a manager later and it has some mm -hmm. specific examples around the games like the famous story around earth earthbound where he said it's easier to just start over so it has that anecdote and then the last quarter of the book is the most the the best it's the testimonials from uh you know his his closest uh, uh, associates um uh, you know the, the the creator of Mario and the creator of Earthbound, basically giving their feedback on Iwata the man, and it's really really charming, and it's it's very sad too. Um, mm -hmm. I I found what, there a whole bunch of quotable things in there. You know, he talks mm -hmm. about like the blue ocean strategy and all that stuff, and how he discovered that in a management book. But like, I really loved Iwata's take on online games, which is like you can tell it still pervades how Nintendo thinks about competitive gaming. He says. In my view, the online games of the world are unfairly biased towards the strong. It takes the bad <laughs> luck. It takes the bad luck of a hundred or a thousand players to make a single player happy. Oh, that wow. is yeah. so good. That is so yeah. good because it's yeah. true. And and I would say, you know, games like Fortnite have done a good job at trying to level the playing field, right? Like somebody hiding behind a bush in Fortnite could conceivably win a battle royale game and you know i think nintendo, there. nintendo discovered their love for battle royale obviously as we as we've seen but like that it used to be true that if you didn't play call of duty day one weeks later you'd come in and you you'd be screwed right like and you're right. you were adding enjoyment to the winning player I would say there's also enjoyment and loss in some ways, but I thought that was really insightful. Mm -hmm. It's it's also, I, I believe, you know, sort of diametrically opposed to the philosophy that uh, Yamauchi had uh, beforehand. If you read a book like Game Over, which I was a big fan of, sort of like growing up playing video games, um, that dude was not a gamer. He no. actually, like, they brought him video games and he would do bad at them and be like, don't ever bring this in here again. <laughs> like, that's that was, whereas... Uh, Iwata was like, I'm first and foremost, I'm a gamer. Like, that's where I start. And then everything that's come out from that has has I've I've been able to center around the fact that at the end of the day, I like playing video games. Um, and, you know, Hiroshi Yamashi was basically just like, I, I want to make money. I want to like, let's make a big business. And that was immensely important for Nintendo at the time. But like, I don't think we I mean, I think we realize it now. But in the moment to moment during the Iwata era of having the sort of uh, Iwata asks column going up every now and then in such a sort of historically closed company, you know, to get that level of transparency into 
an anecdotal game design and and stories and and behind the scenes stuff what worked what didn't work what they tried what they didn't try you know what failed like that was that was so magical to actually get that as a Nintendo fan to get these columns that would pop up and people would translate them. Um, I, I feel so lucky that we got that. I wish we got more of that. I'm a huge fan of like sort of the DVD extras behind the scenes making of stuff with movies. Video games are so historically closed off that we never get that level of transparency until years after a studio is closed. Maybe a figurehead will come out and be like, this is what we tried. This is what we didn't try. Um, this is the pushback we got. Like, I, 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 I feel like we were so lucky to have that, to have him specifically be that open for a company that was so like traditionally closed off. Yeah, it's been almost six years since Awada's passing, and I think his absence is still very much felt in what we get from Nintendo now. I mean, even the Nintendo Directs have, I think, lost a lot of charm since since we lost Awada. I mean, you think mm-hmm. about the Star Fox puppets and the uh, and the Reggie and Awada fighting each other uh, at the Smash Brothers E3, and they introduced Amiibo. It's like it's just so such so, a cool moment. There's nobody to hold up like a bunch of bananas anymore and like look directly, <laughs> you know. Like, no, the pers- Personality was so important. I mean, I, look, obviously, there's another side of Nintendo in that it is a probably for young designers very difficult to break through in the corporate culture. And like you, you sometimes hear stories. We just talked about the one from you know the creator of Monkey Ball and how how it might be difficult to work with Nintendo because its mm-hmm. lead designers are so strong willed. And you get a little bit off that. You kind of hear Iwata's uh, perception of of Miyamoto, but. There's no doubt that Iwata just brought this positivity and did a lot of things with his smile. And he was kind of a, the man was kind of a conundrum, right? Like he was somebody who was very casual in his thinking, but he was a programmer and he was able to lead this business to great success. He was able to, and Yamauchi is, uh, appears in the book in one of the anecdotes that Yamauchi was so behind the Nintendo DS, he kept on bringing up the dual screen thing, right? Like, and I feel like Iwata was able to take on all these ideas and like bring them to fruition. Um, but at the same time, he he wanted a strict dress code and he always <laughs> appeared in his suit, right? Like they all these weird dichotomies. Um, it's it's a really cool book. It's a really cool collection of, of of things that you can read online if you speak Japanese, but it's really cool to have it collected in here. Mm-hmm. So we have very little time and very quickly, Logan, you can play Monster Hunter Rise. You are a fan in one minute or less. What do you think? I love it. Uh, about 60 hours in and I think it feels amazing. The gameplay is great. The wire bug is outstanding. Uh, I really appreciate how it's easier to get new weapon types because I've been experimenting a lot more with different types of weapons I didn't play with in world like the bow or uh, or the hunting horn, things like that. I'm trying out that are new. The new monsters are amazing. Goss Harag, the big Yeti beast is like my new favorite monster ever. Uh, such cool. a monster hunter name. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm a really big fan of it. And I'm ready for the the new title update because I think the end game is a little bit lacking. I think it's my biggest negative point. Um, It doesn't feel quite done at the end stages, but I know they're going to support it for like the next two years, probably. So I'm not worried about it. I feel like basically exactly the same. Nice. And I wish we could talk more about Askiwata and all of the other things. And we just as a reminder, we did answer some of your question block questions at the top of the show. But with that, unfortunately, there is about all the time we have left expect next week on nintendo voice chat to be talking about new pokemon snap with the reviewer i think i'll have miranda on as well it'll be a good time maybe we'll have one of you guys if you would like to volunteer and uh rate uh 
rate some of the reviewers' photos. I think that I would love fun. to do that. That sounds okay. like so much fun. You Perfect. can print them now too, which is amazing. There's a brand new <laughs> hold them up, hold them on. Yeah, I can't wait to Game access changer. this brand new technology and finally be able to get my photos off my phone, which you've never been able to do before. And we'll discuss that in detail next week on Nintendo Voice Chat, which comes out every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific time on your favorite podcasting platform. We hope to see you wherever you like to get your podcasts. And remember, Nintendo Voice Chat is the only place you can get, get, the, the, thing. Thing. get the thing and play. There is no game. It's great. <laughs> hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.